1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Bo's Nose Show, and we're live here from downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's another beautiful sunny day in the Northwest. And you know, here in Elmira, we're having a little bit of fun because there's only one real main road that runs through Elmira, and it's called Territorial Highway, and ODOT has decided to repave it, and I don't know who drew up the traffic control plan for the repaving of that, but... It took me over 20 minutes to get out of my house this morning to go do some shopping in town, and it took me 40 minutes sitting and, and waiting my turn to go this afternoon to get back to my house. So I lost an hour of my day um, for absolutely no good reason, if you know what I mean. Uh, don't know who drafted that traffic control plan, but uh, they probably should get a, uh, a, a little dark mark on their chart in their personnel file so I am going to be talking later in the show with uh, Marie Bower's stag uh, who is the chair co-chair of the Lane families for farms and forests but she was out on a wind rower and frankly the noise that was coming from the wind rower was just a little bit too much to overcome on the radio so when she gets, done and to a point she's going to be called in probably about halfway through the show to talk about that. So In the meantime, it's more or less a free-for-all again. We can talk about whatever you want and you can do that by calling 646- 721-9887 just press 1 to get in on the show or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net and let us know what you want us to talk about or ask a question and you can even do that after the show in between shows uh, if there's a topic or something you want me to address in my next show. But lately here in Lane County, we've been having a good time. I feel like I've been on the evening news way too many times in the last week. Uh, you know, the local channels here in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, and it's been an interesting week started out last Thursday when uh, we had a kickoff for the Tobacco 21 uh, effort that the American Cancer Society is leading to try and get the state of Oregon uh, to adopt a 21 age of purchase for tobacco and nicotine products. And Lane County is already working on that, so they invited me to speak at their opening and uh, are encouraging us to move ahead with our countywide change to that. And I'm sure there's some folks out there that that don't really think that's a good idea, um, willing to talk to that talk to you about that. Though know, the usual objection is, is if you can serve in the military, you ought to be able to smoke a cigarette. But you can serve in the military and you can't drink a beer in Oregon legally, or you can't smoke recreational pot legally, and good luck trying to rent a car um, if you're under 25. So w- we can have a conversation about Tobacco 21. And then on Friday, I went to a groundbreaking ceremony for the Oaks at 14th, which is a new um, affordable housing project that's uh, a partnership between the Housing Authority, which the Board of Commissioners is part of, and
2: uh, a group
1: called Sponsors, which is a nonprofit that works on um, providing housing for those folks that are transitioning out of the prison system. And uh, so a little bit of a controversial development because as soon as you start talking about people coming out of prison, people immediately assume that it's going to be, you know, bring all sorts of crime to the neighborhood. What's interesting is the other um, developments that sponsors has been involved in are spotlessly clean and wonderful neighbors for everyone they've been, been involved in so far. So it's one of those things where it's the change kind of gets people going. And later that afternoon, I got to go to uh, the grand opening, or I should say grand reopening of Archie Knowles uh, Campground, which is out in West Lane County on Highway 126 near Mapleton, Oregon. And the reason it had to be reopened is the Forest Service decided to close it down Uh, because they're not cutting enough trees to be able to afford to keep a campground open. Actually, they just couldn't afford to do the repairs to the water and sewer systems. So their decision was to close it down. Uh, But we managed, you know, there were some citizens there that didn't like that idea because the site's really historical. Archie Knowles campground, where it's situated, was originally a place that Native Americans stopped to camp because it's got Knowles Creek running next to it, which is a salmon-bearing stream, and that's where the salmon come up to spawn. And uh, so it was a place where they stopped and set up camps, you know, collected, you know, salmon uh, and hunted from that site. Later on, it was a camp where fur trappers stayed, and then it was a homestead in 1890 for, I believe, the Jackson family and uh, they were there for quite a long time and had a fruit orchard in that location. And uh, then, after it was, they, they abandoned the homestead, the federal government actually set up a work camp there. And that's what built Highway 126. But then it was called Route F from the tunnel west down to Mapleton. That was the actual uh, WPA um, campsite. And Camp Lane, which is on the other side, the east side of the tunnel, um, was the camp for the eastern portion of Route F. So it has that historical link to um, the Roosevelt administration and WPA. And then it, then after that, um, it became a uh, work camp for a mill. And it, it became known as Jackson Camp. So it was a a, a logging camp for quite a long time which uh, closed down, and then in 1964 it was opened as an actual park by the Forest Service and, and became a campground, and then they closed it in 2010, which was when I took office, and that it was about when I started hearing from the citizens of Mapleton about this long history, and the person it's named after was one of the um, first um, uh, non-native people um, Baby's born in this in Lane County in that western Lane County and actually one of the first settlers um, and was a forester and a guide and a surveyor and several other things. Um, Archie O. Knowles and the folks right there in Mapleton weren't going to let that place get shut down and uh, I was really pleased to help them get the county involved. And it's actually going to be run by Lane County, the park, because one of the things our park system does well is run campgrounds. And we've got Camp Lane on one side of it and Harbor Vista Park on the other side where our trucks go right by it every day um, maintaining those campgrounds. So it just made sense for us to take it over. And we got some grants and some other things, had to get past some uh, bureaucracies with the Forest Service because they didn't want to sign a long-term lease because that's against their policy, so we had to go all the way up to Washington, D.C. to get that approved. And eventually, finally, six years later, we reopened the park on Friday. So that was a pretty happy moment. And then we get around to Tuesday, and we have the uh, local pot tax on on our agenda. And for those of you from outside of Oregon, you might not be aware of Measure 91 and all the various things that went on to legalize recreational marijuana. Medical marijuana was already legal in Oregon. And uh, when they made recreational legal, they they decided it was going to be taxed at, at the uh, retail sales portion of it. And they decided the tax is going to be divided up. Forty uh, percent was going to go to schools, which I don't know where the nexus that is for that. And then uh, I think another 15 percent was going to go to the state police. You know, kind of can get a little bit of nexus there. Twenty-five percent was going to go to um, the state's addiction treatment programs. Another five um, percent was going to go to uh, the uh, uh, prevention programs. And then uh, 10% was going to go to city municipal governments, and 20% 10, another 10% was going to go to the counties to be split up. Um, most of the impact of the legalization of marijuana falls on the counties. Um, you know, we're the ones that have to um, deal with the health impacts. We run the addiction programs for the state and the county, uh, which they're Funding of doesn't supply all the funds. We're the public health authority, so everything that, you know, health wise, that, that marijuana brings with it, we're dealing with. All the land use problems of the grows and, and, and various problems with, with uh, odor and nuisance complaints, well, that's our nuisance uh, abatement officer for zoning enforcement that has to deal with that. And DUII stuff, we have to provide special training to our deputies. It takes almost all the DUII marijuana cases go to trial because it's not a, a definitive test. It's a judgment call by the deputy when they pull them over or even by the, the municipal police officer. And if it's a DUII um, that is a felony, it goes – it's our um, our prosecutors in the, in the – District Attorney's Office that do the prosecution of it. So all that impact falls to the county, yet we only get 10% of the dough. Well, in the final versions of the law that came out of House Bill 3400 and the uh, writing of the statute and administrative rules by the state, they decided that, you know, temporarily they were going to let uh, medical places sell recreational marijuana with a 25% tax, and then when it goes, when that goes away and they actually start licensing the recreational um, retail outlets, the state's going to drop their tax down to 17 percent and they will allow localities like Lane County to have a 3 percent tax on top of that. So the total tax will drop from, if if we pass that tax, we'll go from 25 percent down to 20 percent sales tax basically. So it would actually be a tax reduction if we pass our 3%, but we're only allowed to tax unincorporated Lane County because the cities have the right to pass a local 3% tax within their cities. So there's only about maybe four or five retail outlets in unincorporated Lane County. I don't know how much tax it will generate, but in order to have the 3% tax, we have to adopt an ordinance and place it on the ballot um, for the, the voters of unincorporated Lane County to pass So we took the first steps towards doing that by directing staff to draft the ordinance to to move it to the ballot for this November um, this week. And I think that caused a bit of a stir um, that we're looking at taxing uh, POT. Um, Don't know why we wouldn't, because we're only projected to get about $120,000 out of our 10% share, which doesn't even cover training one deputy to do the DUII recognition, um, hardly. So uh, it's it seems like we'd at least want to look into getting our um, share of the marijuana uh, tax dollars into Lane County's coffers to, to make up for some of that impact, particularly before we have to go out and do things like uh, we're, we currently have a five-year jail levy and we're going to ask the voters probably to renew that in another couple of years. And I can just hear people say if we didn't, try to look into the marijuana taxes. Why didn't you tax marijuana? Why are you asking us for more property taxes? You know, so we can talk about pot taxes. We can talk about the age of purchase for tobacco. We can talk about Archie Knowles. We can talk about sponsors. There's all sorts of great things we can talk about. We can even talk about the Secretary of State's office, which I think I had uh, a fellow commissioner on a couple weeks ago to talk about the Secretary of State has an audits division, and two years ago, they decided to audit all the counties. Uh, It wasn't something they were doing regularly. And in that audit in 2014, they placed nine counties on a list of financially at-risk counties for insolvency. And, you know, if you think back to 2014, it wasn't, you know, we're still coming out of the 2008 recession. Plus, we were in the end of, Secure rural Schools payments from the federal government to make up for timber revenues. And all of those nine counties are part of the 18 counties that make up the Oregon and California railroad land counties, or better known as the ONC counties uh, here in Oregon, that a significant amount of their revenue used to come from the federal government via uh, timber harvest uh, receipts. And the Secure Rural Schools payments were to make up for the fact that they stopped cutting timber when the Spotted Owl was uh, listed back in the 80s and the uh, Marvel Muralet and the left-handed Bluefin Newt or whatever. Um, but, you know, they, uh, they stopped those payments and lo and behold, nine of the counties that are most timber dependent ended up listed as being financially uh, at risk of insolvency. Well, they repeated that audit again in 2016 here, and Lane County was removed from the list of, ins- of potentially insolvent counties. And I'm really proud of that fact. And, and it's because of the hard work our staff and the innovative work they've done and the work we've done as a board and our budget committee in controlling cost and bringing our spending down to a level where we're no longer really dependent on any federal forest income. We've gotten it down to the point where we're basically locally funded or from state funding. I mean, there's a lot of pass-through money we do, like the Federal Women, Infants, and Children, the WIC program, you know, that that comes from the feds, and we just basically administrate it uh, at the local level. But we've gotten our public safety and all of our various um, programs down to a point where What you see is what you're funding locally. And we've cut costs in our health insurance. We managed our PERS debt wisely. Uh, We've paid off debt and basically uh, gotten to a point where Lane County is now financially stable. I wouldn't say we're in a great place, though, because we're still barely hanging on to 24-hour sheriff's patrol at a level where at any one time in Lane County there's only three folks on for the entire county, the two deputies and a a sergeant, Um, that's really not very good coverage. uh, For those of you outside of Oregon, Lane County is approximately the size, just a little bit smaller than the state of Connecticut. That's three people covering the state of Connecticut. Doesn't quite work very well. Uh, So we're still not at a level of service I would like to see, but definitely we've done things to make ourselves financially sustainable. And we've closed what they call the structural um, imbalance in our budget. And that is something people thought we would never be able to do. So we can talk about all sorts of things here on the Bose Nose Show. And if you want to make it interesting, you can get in on – the, the conversation just by calling 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to join in on the conversation. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Because it kind of gets boring sometimes listening to just me talk. But hopefully we'll be hearing from uh, Marie uh, here shortly when she gets off the windrower. You know, there's one thing about being a farmer is, is you can't dictate – uh, when and where you can do things sometimes. Uh, when, when the weather says it's time to cut hay, you cut hay. And uh, Marie's farm, which lies up actually on the border of Wayne County, part, part of it's actually in Lynn County, uh, is basically uh, grass seed, hay, and, and uh, uh, grain-type farm. I'm sure she'll be able to describe it. But uh, this time of year is kind of a busy time of year for us. So I appreciate her taking the time. talk to me hopefully a little bit later in the program. Um, But you know that farming and agriculture uh, are a surprisingly large portion of Lane County's uh, economy and I'm hoping we get to talk to her about that as well as forestry and the surprising thing is how much of forestry in Lane County is actually small woodland owners
2: and I think that
1: Lane Families for Farms and Forests is really about family farms and family forests and what those people really do um, to help our economy and really provide the food that that is on our table and the roof over our head. Because that's really, when you get down to it, farms and forests, that's what what they supply for us. And they do a great job. So, you know, I was talking to, to my producer here, Robin, off air before the program a little bit, and She was mentioning that she had some past experience with traffic control a little bit. I have to get I just can't not get back to this whole thing on territorial highway here today in, in Elmira. I can't believe that Odot and their contractor didn't understand what the volume of traffic was on this roadway and the fact that there's no detour for it for a lot of us. There's no way to get to my house without using Territorial Highway. I'd come off a dead end, and it's the only access to the local high school that's running a kid's soccer camp all day today. They got some kind of special soccer week going at the high school, because last Friday was their last day of school. So it's been parents in and out of the high school all day this week, and Then they put these flaggers out and hold people up from getting to the high school for up to 40 minutes. I can just imagine the kids waiting to be picked up, wondering where mom is. You know, it's just incredible. But, you know, it doesn't seem like this is the only place that somehow or another either a contractor or whoever was doing um, temporary traffic control has just totally not gotten it right. And, uh, you know, for me personally, you know, my background as a civil engineer, long before I became a county commissioner and got involved in politics, I, I got an engineering degree. And I've drawn up traffic control plans for construction projects and understand how you have to anticipate things like, side streets that come in in the middle of a project, which I got to my street and there was no one there controlling traffic. Um, I can't imagine. You know, so it's like, do I turn out or not? Am I going to end up running into a, a piece of construction equipment if I turn out or a line of traffic coming the wrong way and I'm going to have to back up? You know, just insane, total insanity. I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be on ODOT's phones today. 'Cause I imagine uh their phone lines are burning up from the people in Elmira because that was just absolutely incredible. So Robin, are you are you are you there on the line? Yeah, I
0: yeah, am yeah. <laughs> I was just kinda of chuckling as you mentioned that, because one of the things that we used to do as a as a group a long time ago before uh cell phones were out and C B radios were prominent, is we would respond to uh, stalled vehicles, and traffic accidents. And there we had to set up traffic control on the fly and take control of the scene and uh, get everything under control until the emergency vehicles could come and take over. So that took a little bit of just common sense and paying attention.
1: Yeah, and it just it surprises me sometimes that, that the the traffic there was just not foreseen by, by ODOT. And I'm sure everybody has their stories, but you know, in Oregon we have two seasons uh, here. We have uh, winter when it rains, and then we have construction season, where we all wait in our cars in the hot weather in the sun.
0: Uh. Yeah. And that's that's awesome. Windshield companies do some really booming business.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and speaking of windshields, you know, I, I live out here by uh, Fern Ridge Reservoir, which the locals refer to as Fern Ditch. Um, and, and I driving to and from I had to stop and get gas today. Every time I get gas, I've got to clean my windshield because I tell you I get so bugged up between the bugs and the rocks from the construction. I don't know which is worse. Um for for windshields around here. But uh we digress a little bit. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm on my third set of driving lights due to uh, rocks from trucks. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you had a topic you were interested in a little bit, um, you know, today. uh, And that was speaking of ODOT, you know, they, they wanted to have this experiment in Oregon. You know, there's all this angst in Oregon about the fact that our um, gas tax collections aren't keeping up and and they're having, you know, they're not being able to do enough with the gas tax. Um, which I still haven't seen a chart that shows it's actually dropping off their collections of gas tax. Uh, but they're blaming things like uh, high v- mileage cars and electric vehicles and all that. So they, they, they want to go into this experiment where they charge you by the mile for your tax rather than um, by the gallon at, at the pump. And they set up this experiment where they were trying to get 5,000 people to volunteer to go to this system. And I don't even, I don't think they ever got the full 5,000 degree. agree. And of that program, it seems like everybody's quit. <laughs> and they only have uh, about 800 left in, in even the, the pilot program at this point. And I'm not even sure they're going to collect enough data to see if it's meaningful. Um, typical ODOT state planning. I mean, these are the folks that have brought us the Highway 20, uh, which for folks outside of Oregon is, is a uh, road between the Willamette Valley and, and the Pacific Ocean. It goes through the coast range um, where they're trying to do a bypass and make it multi-lane, and they haven't been able to get it built for years, and it's been a, you know, over a hundred million dollar boondoggle through several different contractors because They keep running into unstable ground in the coast range, which is known for landslides and instability.
0: (laughs) Exactly.
1: Like they couldn't anticipate that and do a little bit better geotechnical work and and design up front. Um, It's like, oh, my gosh. And then at the same time, they brought us the Columbia River Crossing, which is a plan to replace the I-5 Bridge over the Willamette River between Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington. um, That they spent over a hundred million dollars studying and designing, and then had to scrap the project partly because they wouldn't give up the idea of putting a light rail line on it, which meant they couldn't make it as they had to make it less steep and have the uh, ramp that the entrance and exits go way out beyond the, the normal what you would see for a bridge and then because of that it wasn't tall enough to get the ships under the Coast Guard wanted <laughs> so, so it was going to cause problems for a business just up upstream on, in the, in the uh, Port of Portland of getting things back and forth under the bridge so this it, it was a complete boondoggle so, you know, they waste all this money on Highway 20. They waste all this money on, on the Columbia River crossing. And then they try to get this thing to where they're going to get people to pay by the mile, which is basically, uh, um, you know, makes some sense to some degree. But in order to do it, you basically have to agree to having a tracker put on your car of some kind.
0: Well, and the bad thing about that is, and I've, I've been... Um, following this since it was introduced in 2007, I believe, because on my blog I uh, had a lot of information on it. And of course, some of the stuff they've already taken down, but they're they're trying to sell it as uh, under their website as ReGo. Uh-huh. That's their thing. About yeah. how much money you'll save, and they actually give an example of, uh, of that. You well, like for example, uh, using just their calculator on or. MyOreGo.org, one day, 40 miles, 15 miles to the gallon equals 2.6 gallons. And they're showing that under the current gas tax, you'd pay 80 cents for the tax. And under the new system, you'd pay 60 cents for that same trip. Well, the thing is, is that once this system is put in, it's designed to track not only how many miles that you drive in Oregon, but where you drive, what time you drive. And once the system is in place, part of the long-term thing they want to do is that, say, for example, Jay, you, you know take 126 and you come into town, say, at 3 in the morning. You may pay half a cent a, uh, a mile for, for a gas tax. But then let's say you, you go home at 5 o'clock in the evening, you may pay 3 cents a mile because it's called a congestion tax. And then it also makes – say they decide to put a toll on the Ferry Street Bridge. It's a transparent tax now, and they can vary it so much. And then, of course, just like in the local newspaper today where Springfield wants to add more to the gas tax, once that gets in, then the cities will start asking for their own money out of it, and it's just uh, a boondoggle. And then let's take insurance companies. Once you have that in your car – then the insurance companies can do like progressive and start saying that, okay, we're going to start charging people more based on where they drive or, or how they drive or whatever. And then the final thing is that Oregon, according to the uh, to yesterday's news, because there's other states that are also considering as well, they, they want to mandate new cars um, or they're asking the federal government to mandate new cars to have this autom- automatically installed so you don't have a choice in it.
1: Yeah, wow. and I can just see now where you'll you'll get a fine for speeding because they'll know what road you're on and how fast you're going because the same interlink that allows them to see how many miles you drove um, is going to you know be able to determine that to a certain degree or at least knowing that the maximum speed limit on any road in Oregon is say 65 and they they see that you're doing 70. Sometime during the day, you automatically
0: get a ticket. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's an excellent point because uh, that already happens now with trucks. If you go through, say, the uh, port of call over on Eastern Oregon, and then you go through a, the way station um, just before Portland, and they do the math, and you get there faster than you would have done the speed limit, it's an automatic ticket. Yeah. But uh, no, that that's a really good point.
1: Yeah, and you know, where's where's kind of the um, you know Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination? Exactly. Yeah,
0: there's just there's just so many things that that are wrong with this. It's just unreal. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, that's that's our our state government at work. Yeah.
0: Oh, and let me throw in too how the, how the tax is collected. Uh, right now, when you go to the gas station, and if you're poor like the rest of us, then you know you pay your gas up front and the tax everything. The way this will work is that when you get to the the pump, it calculates the, the tax first, and then you'll uh, and then you'll get your gas uh, at that point.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I just it, it's it's one of those things where you know. Time of day pricing in some ways, I I I don't have too much of an issue with because kind of like you know the difference between going to a restaurant at 4:30 and being able to get the blue plate the early bird special or paying full price for the same meal at six o'clock when they're busy. Um. Or you know you go to a theater at uh, on a Sunday at 10 in the morning and you can get a discounted ticket. Um. But if you go Friday at, at seven in the evening, uh there's no discounts available. You know, there, it's our, there's already time of day pricing in in multiple different areas of, of uh uh you know, of our economy. Uh so it, it that that's not really as much of my issue as just the 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 ability to um
0: go beyond that. Exactly. No. I want to uh, bring on Marie Bauer, and she's on the line. Hello. Hi, Marie. Hi, hey, Marie. How's how how you doing, y'all? Off the windrower for a few <laughs> minutes.
2: Yeah, the field wasn't ripe enough yet, so I'm off and yeah, off for a few minutes.
1: Uh, great. Well, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time because I know for somebody that's doing uh, grass seed and hay and whatever else you guys do out there in uh, North of Coburg, that this is your busy season.
2: Yes, very much so. it's about 10 days early again this year, like it was last year. So, you know, not mentally prepared for it quite yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the berry farmers are having the same problem where their their crops in a little bit early this year. So you are your official title is co-chair, I think it is, of Lane Families for Farms and Forests. Is that correct?
2: Actually, I was voted the president, so I'm the president of Lane right. Families for Farms and Forests.
1: Uh, so sorry. I, I mis I mislabeled you then. So at, at, it's so no what, worries. What was,
0: what is Lane Families
1: for Farms and Forests? Can you tell us about it a little bit?
2: Um, so Lane Families for Farms and Forests is a brand-new coalition just pretty much formed in the last month. And um, our goal is to start communicating to the general public and the general community in Lane County about what farmers and foresters do in the county because, I mean, Lane County – was built on agriculture, farming, and forestry, and ranching. And so, you know, and I, and I think a lot of times we – I know I'm guilty of it as a farmer. We lose sight of, you know, the greater community, and we just focus on our task at hand. And then we realize our neighbor two doors down, or our neighbor, you know, 10 minutes away has no idea what we're doing out there. So our goal is kind of just to start a conversation with the community open up our doors, you know, you know, open up our roads and just say, hey, come, come see what we're doing. And, you know, we, w- we want to tell you what we do out here.
0: Well, that's great. I guess you, you can start by one question I have. What, what is meadowfoam grown for?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, meadowfoam is one of the crops to grow and it's actually, it's an oil seed. Um, so it's, Crush, and it's used in cosmetics, so um, you probably don't use a lot of conditioner or face wash or, you know, lotions like, you know, girly-like type lotions. but um, mm-hmm. it's typically found in higher-end cosmetic products. I know it's in my conditioner that I use and, um, and a face wash that I use as well, so and then, um, like, the byproducts of it um, can be fed to cattle. Like, the, when you crush it, you have like leftover stuff. And I know they've tried to feed it to cattle and, um, or mix it in with a feed ration. So. Huh.
1: I, I, I always assumed that it was used for perfume because there's a certain time of year, those fields are the most aromatic fields. You know, between that and, and mint, um, you really know when you're driving by it when it's in bloom.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it does, it smells excellent, and I love the smell. And then the honey that we get from it, because it does take bees to pollinate, is is the sweetest, and I think it's the best honey out there. And, you know, most people don't, they like their clover honey, or, you know, you got all kinds of flavors of honey, blackberry honey from the bees, but I'm telling you, metaphone honey is probably the best.
1: Oh, sounds great. I, I've seen them set up the hives next to the fields uh, quite often, and and myself, that's it, almost allergic to bees, uh, almost have to carry an EpiPen. I always uh, steer wide of those highs when I'm on my bicycle. Uh, <laughs> well, are the
2: bees,
1: the bees, are the bees, bees that, that we really get are
2: from the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the bees that we yeah. get are the friendly bees. Our, our beekeeper is the president, actually, of the State Beekeeper Association. I bet you didn't know that organization existed.
0: But...
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> And he's yeah. yeah, I
1: learned a lot so, from him. So, yeah, so so you guys are actually part of the whole chain of, of helping bees in in Lane County we we hear so much about how how there's this sudden hive death or whatever it is and the and the bees are having problems. You guys are actually growing stuff that bees thrive on. Yeah,
2: exactly. We grow we we grow bee food. So
1: yeah. Beef food and you also grow a lot of people food and, and, and uh wood for our houses and, and all sorts of things. So
2: yeah. um
1: do you have any uh like statistics or any idea of just how much uh annually uh farmers and 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 uh forestry mean to Lane County's economy?
2: Actually good thing you asked because we I do. Um it was, it, was four, it was every four years, I think it's every four years, the USDA does a census. So in 2012, they did a agriculture census. And um, Lane County itself uh, ranks 11th in the state for agriculture production. Um, so that doesn't include our trees. That just includes, you know, the products from the farm. So 11th in the state. So say Marion County is number one because of all of its diverse crops and then Maine County ranks number 11. So out of 36 counties, I would say that's per, or a pretty important part to the state's ag economy. Um, I don't have specific dollar amount numbers. I, could, I can send you the stats and maybe you can decipher that out of there. But, um, yeah. and, you know, our top crops are, you know, grass seed. We rank fourth in the state for grass seed crops. Um, nursery and greenhouses are like six. And I think... Um, Animals are, you know, up there as well, and I, I don't know exactly the number, so.
1: That's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, a, you, you think about the nursery side of things. Um, people don't sometimes think of that, that as an agricultural crop, but uh, Oregon's one of the, isn't it, like, number one in the nation for nursery crops?
2: Yeah, we. are pretty close to yeah, we're in the top 3. I can't remember if we're number 1 or number 2, but I think it trades around. And I know this last year, so nursery's been this number 1 commodity in the state for many years, and then this last year cattle took over because of the high cattle prices. Um and I don't I bet we'll see a flip-flop again between nursery and cattle. <laughs> so it's, it's 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 people don't realize what a huge industry it is and what it all goes into the nursery part. They just think that they like to go down to AEC to nursery and buy a pretty flower and not realizing how much it contributes overall to the organ economy.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I was able to look up that same piece there and it looks like the market value of the product sold in 2012 was 142 million. I've, I, 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 yeah, $142 million. That, that's a
2: uh, yeah, pretty that's, big chunk of <laughs> Yeah, it is. And I just, uh, that's a lot of money. And I just looked up some other stats that I had about employment in the county. And um, just in 2015, between ag, forestry, fishing, and hunting, we paid almost $73 million in wages, which is about an average mm-hmm. wage of almost 38000 a year. So... I mean, we're we're contributing to the county, and that's all. That's over 1,900 jobs. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the population of Lane County is. I'm sure you do, but um, yeah.
1: Yeah, a little over 350,000 at this point. So, 19,000 is a lot of families. You know?
2: Yeah.
1: And you, you, you also kind of. Um, you know, there's been a tradition. You know, I didn't grow up in in Lane County. I grew up on the East Coast. And uh, when I moved here, I kept hearing people talk about when they were kids and they used to go pick beans and and strawberries and this that and the other thing and and how they used to get on the bus and go go pick beans and everything else. But that's kind of changed with time a little bit and and a lot of laws. But, you guys still hire a fair amount of young people, and it's their kind of their first real employments—bucking hay or 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 driving a windrow or something, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we we actually prefer to hire high school kids or kids who just need a summer job, because for one, our harvest window um, is you know it starts about two weeks after they get out of school, and then we're done harvesting about um, you know a week into August or two weeks after August and at that point, you know, then they can they can choose to either, you know, stay on and do some odd jobs or, you know, if they're done, they're done. So it's a good way to make a lot of money, especially with minimum wage being nine seventy five on July first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. And don't you like it that that way out there in in rural Lane County that you're paying the same minimum wage uh, that Eugene's paying. Yeah. <laughs> Lane, For Lane kids who yeah,
2: I, I have to train.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can have a long discussion about minimum wage, but I we'll, we'll try and stick with the benefit of farms and all that, in Lane County. So, um, your your farm there, in particular, you guys. You know, you said you do. Uh, Grass seed, hay, and and meadow foam, and a few other things. But how many, you know, in the course of a summer, how many kids do you think you employ?
2: What was? Sorry, repeat the question.
1: How many kids does your farm employ in a summer?
2: Um, right now, we have I eight between eight and ten kids. So, and it it seems, yeah. It's our farm and the neighbor farm employs kids too and i mean they have to go get a tractor safety permit so they have to go through some training and you know but Mm -hmm. i mean that's just a requirement by law and then you know we can work them up to 72 hours a week and many kids funny get some kids who want to work over 72 hours and it's like sorry buddy we can't because you know our labor commissioner would come after us but anyway yeah that's
1: yeah, that'd be a heck of a way to save money for college if you could work, you know, 60, 70 hours on a farm all summer long. So yeah, I I, had um, our,
2: yeah, our head Baylor driver, she's not working for us this year, but she didn't get a summer job till actually she had graduated high school, and um, she came to work for us, and she was Um, also girls make the best employees, I'm just going to tell you that right there, but she came to work for (laughs) us, and she was timid, and, but she grew into a leader on the crew, and um, her goal was to go to vet school, and so she didn't have to have a full-time job in college, because, you know, she worked all summer and saved a lot of money, and now this is, she's just finished her first year of vet school, and, you know, she wouldn't, without her summer job, she would definitely wouldn't be able to at least afford to Go to college, you know, without having to balance a job and school. So.
1: Yeah, so that 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 farm employment is helping her, you know, have the time to actually do her studying versus having to work full time and giant juggle school. That that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and I think that's you know, that's a piece of that, you know, the average person, you know, that's just going to the farmers market in downtown Eugene. Um, and seeing the produce there doesn't think about who gets employed you know to bring all that produce to to the farmers market A- and what that yeah. employment means to those people and and the farming economy really provides that that youth and em- summer youth employment that is almost dried up. You know, it, it's really, Hard for somebody under the age of even 21 to find employment that that's temporary during the summer. When yeah, and that's out.
2: the thing is, it's getting it seems like it's getting harder and harder to find kids who actually just want to work during the summer, and I don't know whether yeah. that's our culture or whether it's because you know there's a lot of pressure on kids these days to go. Do year round sports or go on vacations with their families, or which I don't knock people going on vacation with their family. It's just one of those things. It's weird. And I, you know, people say that parents pay for everything, which I don't, I that just blows my mind. But <laughs> that's a, probably a whole nother, like, discussion on the culture and, and where we are today. So, yeah,
1: yeah, I, th- I think we're, we're, we're probably showing our age a little bit, Marie, when we start thinking about you know things like that and and that difficulty in getting people to work, but you know I've experienced that too as as we um uh, you know my wife and I have a small business. we only have four employees now, um, but sometimes it's difficult to get people to really knuckle down and work and and uh and you know and especially when you want to pay them time and a half for overtime
2: because you're in a
1: crunch <laughs> and, and, and they just they really don't want to work it. They don't, you know, just the desire, just, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, yeah, we could have a whole other show about that. So, um, if if there's a family farmer or farmer out there that's listening to the show or a forester out there listening to the show that's interested in Lane families and, and forests, how would they contact you to find out about the next machine or, or what the group's doing?
2: Um, lanefamilies.com. We have a website up. We're going to have a Facebook page here in the next week up. We're working on it now. So, Right now, uh, www.lanefamilies.com, we have a contact sheet on there, Um, and we're, like I said, we're beginning a new coalition, and we are just got a kickoff party two weeks ago, which we had over 100 attendees of local farmers and foresters, and we're planning a fall event, which hopefully will, our goal is to encompass the greater Lane County community besides just people who work out in the fields of the forest and, you know, start getting to know one
1: another. Well, that's great. And it's kind of an interesting coalition because you don't normally think of, um, you know, the logger and the farmer, um, you know, socializing or even, you know, getting together with each other. So um, I bet it's been kind of interesting getting to know some of the folks from the forestry side of, of our, our uh economy here in Lane County.
2: Yeah, and, and foresters have always been, uh, When before I became back to the farm, I worked for Northwest Farm Credit Services, and I started down in Roseburg. So uh, when I was a trainee, every, you know, one Monday a month, we'd go to the Douglas Timber Operator's Breakfast, and I learned a lot about it there, and, you know, we're not that much different, farmers and foresters. Their crops just get harvested about every four decades, and ours get harvested every year.
0: So <laughs> I guess
1: you can look at it like that and uh and it's kind of interesting because um, looking at even some of the statistics about the farms there's a certain amount, of, you know, that, that show the farms that have forests on them. So there are some Yeah. of, You know, run cattle maybe uh on part of their land and actually have a tree farm on other part of the land
2: yeah a lot so, I think a lot of ranches um you know a lot of ranches in this lane douglas county area that's they have timber and they also have cattle because they have grasslands that just can't grow trees, so you have cattle
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's uh yeah that's one of the things I don't think you know people think about too much is there is actually some crossover between the two the, the two industries. So yes, you're you're a fifth generation farmer. Yep. And um. How, how many of the the farmers that you run into uh, are new to it? That they're the first generation. Uh, how
2: many are the first generation? It's pretty it's pretty hard business to get into. Um. So, on my side, like my mom grew up in Coburg, and my great grandpa or her grandpa was a farmer, and then you know my dad grew up in Harrisburg, and his grandpa was a farmer and so <laughs> we're when we're still farming the land today that both of my great grandpa's lived on and farmed um but you know as even though I'm you know have this generational experience and this opportunity my husband and I are still just trying to find some land for ourselves to, you know, start our own kind of start building equity and capital on. And, um, pretty difficult to find land if you're a new farmer or, you know, or, you know, you haven't been renting it for years already because anytime land comes up for grab, especially in Lane County or anywhere, other farmers are there as well. So You have to be pretty aggressive and it's sometimes discouraging.
1: Uh that's interesting because yeah you know, one of the things you hear you know in the national news is how farmers are aging out and and it they there's a need for more young people to be involved in farming um looking at your uh website your your lane uh your LFFF leadership um those are some pretty young faces I'm looking at
2: Yeah uh, yeah we yeah. There are there are quite a few young. I mean, there's there's quite a few of us who are trying to you know make one make one more generation happen on the farm, and I think yeah, it's, I mean I think it's awesome, but also like I said, still we need opportunities too, and those can get challenging at, at times.
1: Yeah, yeah. There just seems to be a a, a finite um, amount of of good land, yeah. and I think some of the time. Talent- People don't understand. It might something. That's a big difference. What's actually under, under their soil line it makes a big difference on how good the land is or how how, uh, how productive it is, has potential for. And, and and then there's the whole issue of water. Yeah.
2: yeah. Am I losing you? So, yeah. Huh.
1: Okay. So, is, is there before before we get close to the end of the show here? and It sounds like you're having to get out and do something else here. I'm hearing a little bit of noise in the background. Is there anything coming up um, with Lane families uh, for farms, of course? Uh, you know, a place you guys might be out speaking or or um, got another coming up? And,
2: and um. There's a few
0: small woodlands
2: tours that, you know, we're trying to encourage people to attend and get you those things. Um, but the thing is right now we're looking for opportunities of where, where we need to be. Just, you know, like I said, a lot of us just bury our heads in the fields of the forest and kind of miss out on what's happening, you know, in the inner cities or like not the inner city, but the cities or the towns around us. So um, if, you, right, if anybody knows a thing, feel free to contact us through the website and say, hey, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for Lane families to be at. And then, again, um, there will be more information coming in the fall about a fall event. So, yeah.
1: Okay. So would you guys, you know, like provide a speaker or um, somebody to come talk about their, their particular farm or, or whatever, you know, if it was like, say, a lion's club or a lawnist? Or, or even if, a, yeah. say, say a, a teacher was listening to this and thought it might be a great idea if, if they could get a farmer to come in and talk to their class, um, would that be something you all would be interested in?
2: Absolutely. I know a couple of us have already talked to some local groups about, you know, just what we do in our fields and, um, you know, I, and co- crops that they may not fully understand why we grow, you know, or... we. We love to explain it. Like, I just had a teacher actually out here um, yesterday for Summer Ag Institute, which is a program through Oregon State, and she's a science teacher, and she was just eating it all up about, you know, how can she make ag part of her curriculum in her science class at Stafford High School. So, <laughs> you know, it's just any opportunity we can get where we have willing members who love to explain what they do.
0: Great.
1: So all, all of you listening out, out there, if you're the member of a group and you're always looking for a good speaker or something like that, uh, or if you're an educator out there and you're looking to try and
0: find something,
1: some new way of, of, uh, making your curriculum interesting, here's a group with uh, farms and, 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 forestry that you can either get, you know, field trips to or a speaker in, um, Contact uh, Lane Families for Farms and Forests again. You guys have that um, lanefamilies.com is your website. Yep. And I think there's there's some information there. And uh, of course, uh, if they get a hold of me, I can always probably connect with you uh, if somebody's interested Absolutely. in Absolutely. And, and like I said, this uh,
2: time of year, I'm on the go most times, so you know, if they get, you know. I'm always up for a tractor ride if people need to go ride on a tractor, too. So.
1: Yeah, well, and I always I, – I, I, Marie and I are also Facebook friends, and I always love pictures of bulldogs um, riding in the tractors with you, your English bulldog.
2: <laughs> yeah, and right now my English bulldog just ran out the door while I was trying to keep her in. So I'm like, Laura, you can't uh, go with me this time. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I will let you uh go capture your English bulldog. I know they're stubborn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just a little they are. Yep. All right. And, well
2: thank uh, you, Jay. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Uh, yep, and thank you for uh taking some time in the middle of harvest. I know it's a tough time for you. And yeah. uh I I You are more than welcome. A Okay. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Reed. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, Jake. And that was Marie Bowers-Stagg, Stag, is the president of Lane Families for Farms and Forests. And they've got a website, which is uh, lanefamilies.com. If you want to find out more about them, uh, learn a bit more about agriculture and forestry in Lane County and the value it has in our community. And that's going to take out wrap it up for the Bo's Nose show this week. Uh, I hope we provided you some information and uh, if you want to, drop us an email at talk at krbnradio.net and uh, we'll get back to you if we can, suggest a topic or whatever. But this has been a great afternoon despite the traffic out on Territorial Highway. Can't get away from a radio show without a little bit of a smile on my face, particularly when I get to talk to a farmer about what they do and the value they are to our community. So, next week, who knows what we'll be talking about. Good night, and have a great day Rest of your day,
0: and we are clear.
1: Awesome.